James chapter 1. I'm going to read for us verses 9 through 11. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And what we have here in these three verses is James is bringing us to a subject which is of great cause of instability through double-mindedness and through doubtings. And that's the subject of our finances and our social status. Uh, Jesus referred to this in Luke 12. Verse 29, Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. So this is an area that produces doubts. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Don't worry about your earthly provision. Don't let it lead you to doubting and double-mindedness, which James has just told us makes us unstable in all our ways. And so James 1.9 begins with the word let. And so, once again, it's a command. And who is he addressing it to? Let the brother, the Christian, the believer in Christ, the child of God, all of whom are brethren, one with another, as he had started out verse 2. My brethren. What brethren? Let the brother of low degree, the brother who in this world, in other words, temporally and materially, is of low degree, the brother who is financially poor and socially an outcast, rejected in the providence of God. Those who are materially at the bottom of the ladder as to their lot in this life. And we know that poverty, which is the subject here, it's usually attended with many trials and troubles. Poverty is difficult. And so James is encouraging the impoverished Christian. When he says low here, he's talking about the brother who is humble in condition. But not just in his outward condition in this world, but also inwardly he is humble in spirit. Remember what Jesus said, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We have an example of that in Luke chapter 1 in Mary the mother of our Lord. Verse 
She's been told that she's bearing the Christ child. Verse 47, she says, My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Why? For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. He looked on me in my poverty. And he says, For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things. And holy is his name. Then down in verse 52 she says, This is how God works. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. Raised them up. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 8, it says, Better is a little with righteousness. Better to be poor and yet have the righteousness of God imputed to us through faith in Christ and then to live a life of obedience to God than great revenues without right. To have a clear conscience is better than to have a big bank account. Verse uh, 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding rather to be chosen than silver. And that's what James is telling us. If we lack wisdom, ask of God. It's much more valuable than any earthly wealth. Verse 19. Better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. So this low brother has a better lot than any rich wicked. Uh, Psalm 37 and verse 16 A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. So his condition excels and exceeds if you were to accumulate the riches of many wicked persons. Uh, look at uh, how the God's people are addressed, spoken of in Psalm 72. Verse 2. says of Christ that he shall judge thy people with righteousness and thy poor God's poor with judgment verse 4 he shall judge the poor of the people he shall save the children of the needy and shall break in pieces the oppressor down to verse 12 for he shall deliver the needy when he crieth the poor also and him that hath no helper He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight. So that's the blessings of 
the people of God who are described as poor and needy. And they're the ones who recognize their need of God and put their confidence in Him and express it by crying out to Him in their need. Psalm 86. Verse 1. Bow down thy ear, O Lord. Hear me. Why? Here's what he bases his appeal on. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. I'm one of your people in Christ. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Notice, I live by faith. Not by self-confidence. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. And that's the expression of a believer showing that he is of low degree and trusting in the Lord and looking to him for all he needs. And so what does James tell this brother of low degree? Rejoice. Now, we don't often think of poverty as a cause of rejoicing. But James says, do not become despondent because of your outward state, but rather rejoice. And the word rejoice means to glory or exult or boast. Now, people normally exult in just the opposite. Jeremiah chapter 9 God says this, verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, that's the worldly wise, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, that's the powerful of the world, and then he says, Let not the rich man glory in his riches, so there are many who glory in their riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Well, the brother of low degree would say, I don't have any riches to rejoice in. No, but you have something far better. You know the Lord. And that's life eternal. Life eternal is to know thee, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's only the unbelieving fools who glory in their Wealth, we saw it in Psalm 49. Verse 6, They that trust in their wealth, not in the Lord, and boast themselves, what? In the multitude of their riches. By faith, James says, you can count the basest and most abject state a cause for excess of joy. Let the brother of low degree rejoice. And we usually think of poverty, and as I said, there are many difficulties associated with poverty. We think of that as a trial, an affliction. But you remember what Romans says, 
in chapter 5, verse 3, not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Who are we? We that are justified by faith in Christ. If you have Jesus Christ, you have everything you need. If you don't have Jesus Christ, no matter what else you may have, you have nothing. So, only the believer has cause to rejoice. The unbeliever has no reason to rejoice. Uh, in Philippians 3, verse 3, it says, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So if we have Christ, we have cause to rejoice when? At all times and in all circumstances. Verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. And so though poverty is a suffering lot, suffering loss, poverty for Christ is really great gain. Some believers became impoverished because of their faith. Because of their Christian testimony. And yet, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, we read this. You had compassion of me in my bonds, and you took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. They lost their goods, their temporal goods, because of their Christian faith. But you know in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. And that's what we want to look at next in James. Why should we rejoice if we are in a state of poverty? Rejoice in that he, the brother of low degree, is exalted or he's elevated to the highest possible position. As a believer, he's one of the excellent of the earth. He's a child of God. And he's an heir of heaven. And there's no higher place than that. It far exceeds any earthly station, royalty or nobility or position. Uh, Revelation 2, verse 9. Writing to the church of Smyrna, which was a poor and suffering church, What's he say? I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but physically you're in poverty, but spiritually what? You are rich. You are rich. How? Well, look at what you have. Ephesians chapter 1. You may have a meager portion of earthly blessings, but what do you have in Christ? Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So in Christ you lack nothing. What's he say in 2 Peter 1.3? According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness 
through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Everything you need for this life and the life to come as to the condition of your soul and even as to our temporal needs, he's given us all these things in Christ. You know, in Ephesians 1 again, it says, uh, Paul prays we might know God's mighty power to us who believe. He says in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, far above all the great ones of this earth, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. That's where Jesus is, and that's where we are in him. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in sins, God has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And he's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. We're at the highest place that can ever be attained by God's grace. Jesus said, I'm going to give you to sit with me in my throne. Even my Father gave me to sit with him in his throne. We're at the very throne of God in Christ. Look at Romans 8. Verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The highest royalty and nobility. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him. If we may be in poverty in this life, but it's that we may be also glorified together uh, with him. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, We've been born again to an inheritance. We're joint heirs with Christ. What is our inheritance? It's an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. So it's far better than any earthly portion which is corruptible and defiled and soon perishes. In other words, financial and social considerations have no bearing on our spiritual positions and possessions. And so we should not let those things concern us or weigh us down. Galatians uh, 3, verse 26, again tells us our high calling and position in Christ. You're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And he says in verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And so we are rich in Christ. 
as he says in Ephesians 3, how rich are we? Verse 8, Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That's how rich we are. Now when you have this list of the richest men in the world, they tell you exactly how much they have. Now as a Christian, they can't do that because the riches I have are beyond computation or calculation. They're infinite. And so we have every reason to be comforted. But, what, but again, remember, there's no merit or comfort in merely being poor. People don't go to heaven because they're poor, but it is in being poor as a believer, in being poor for Christ's sake. As uh, Zephaniah 3 And verse 12 says, God tells us, I will also leave in the midst of thee an afflicted and poor people. Right? These are his remnant, his people. And how are they identified? And they shall trust in the name of the Lord. Our very poverty enables us, or it helps us to not trust in ourselves, but in God. And even though we are so poor financially, having these spiritual riches and blessings, we are enabled by sharing those with others to enrich them as we are. Usually when you have earthly wealth, if you give it out, you, you become diminished. But when it comes to our spiritual wealth in Christ, the more you give it out, the more it increases. And they have as much as I have in Christ. Uh, Paul said in Second Corinthians 6, talking about the ministry... And verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. We possess all things. And that's what 1 Corinthians 3 says. Verse 21, Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, all things, in this world and in the world to come. Why? And you're Christ. And Christ is God's. God owns all things as the creator of all things and he has given all these things over to Christ, and in Christ they become ours. Well, let's go to James chapter 1 again, verse 10. Now he's going to talk about prosperity. Temporal prosperity. But the rich. The rich brother. The brother who is of high degree in this world. Let him rejoice. But for another reason. Even though these two are equally shared by the rich and the poor, the poor have to be poor in spirit and humble as the rich do. 
And the rich have all these spiritual blessings in Christ that the poor do. So in that sense, they are equal in one. Now, first of all, there are some rich Christians, even though there aren't many that way. God does not ordinarily save a lot of people of wealth and high society. First uh, Corinthians 1 you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world and the weak things, base things, things that are despised. Remember one way Jesus reminded John that he was the Messiah. He said that the poor have the gospel preached to them. But we are to preach the gospel to every creature and some among the rich God sees fit to call to Christ and save. In Matthew 19 Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said verse 23 then said Jesus to his disciples, Verily I send to you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. Riches often keep men from God. That might be why America is in such a low spiritual state. We have an abundance of material wealth, but spiritually we are completely empty. What should the rich man rejoice in? In that he is made low. He should rejoice in his humiliation. Now, in the world, riches and power are exaltation. They're considered a high position. But here he's saying, spiritually, he's been made low. Though he's rich in the world, he has been humbled by God. He's been brought to repentance by God to see his spiritual bankruptcy without Christ. He's been given a lowly heart to come to Christ as a sinner to be saved by him. This rich brother should rejoice that he's been enabled by God to see the vanity of riches and the shortness of life and that by the grace of God he's been enabled to put his trust in Christ, to humble himself, not to be proud and arrogant and self-sufficient and to think I don't need anything or anyone. I am, in, I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. It's very hard for a rich person to come to that place and it's only God's power that can bring him to that place and if 
a rich man has been brought to that place by God and saved, how he should glory in it. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, it says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, which riches tends to cause, nor trust in uncertain riches. In other words, they put their faith in their wealth, not in the Lord. So rather that they should put their trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works. Use what God's given them to be a blessing and benefit to others. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. That's what rich people need to do because riches tend to make men proud, independent, self-sufficient, and to feel superior to others as if they are in a higher position and don't have the same needs as poor people have, especially spiritually. Proverbs 18.11 The rich man's wealth is his strong city. Right, he hides behind that like a walled city and it's a, as a high wall in his own conceit. So he's conceited. His pride in his material wealth has been broken and removed. And he no longer boasts in that false sense of security and power that money gives. No longer gold, silver, and precious stones being his main focus, but rather having a meek and a quiet heart, which is in the sight of God of great price. And so again, James goes on to say, let the rich rejoice in that he is made low. Why? Because. Or here's why he should glory and boast that his heart has been humbled by God and he's been brought to Christ. Because as the flower of the grass, he, the rich man, shall pass away or he shall perish. And again, James is reminding us here that man is very short-lived and that riches are not forever. Or as 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17 says, or 6, uh, 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain and we can carry nothing out. When we die, we must leave all our earthly riches behind and then we enter eternity as a naked soul to stand before God. Uh, we saw it in Psalm 49. Verse 16 and 17. 
Be not thou afraid when one is made rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Makes you think of that rich fool in Luke 12, where Jesus gave a warning. He said in verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, or the desire for wealth, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. In other words, a poor man does not have less of a life, and a rich man does not have more of a life, because that's not what our life is. Christ is our life. And so we're to lay up treasures not on earth, but we are to lay up treasures in heaven so that we be not like that rich fool. Verse 20 of Luke 12 says, God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So, and such is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How can we lay up treasure in heaven and be rich toward God? Well, not by worldly wealth. Proverbs 11, verse 4. It says there, Riches profit not in the day of wrath. They're not going to help us in the judgment day. You can't buy yourself out of hell. But righteousness delivereth from death. What righteousness? The righteousness of Christ, which God puts on us when we believe because we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from our vain conversation received by tradition from our fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's the only price sufficient to buy our souls and to save them. If a rich man dies proud and impenitent, he winds up empty in the torments of hell. Uh, You remember the rich man in Lazarus, Luke 16. Verse 22, It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. See, salvation in Christ is the great equalizer. The rich and the poor meet together here and are made one in Christ. Proverbs 22. Verse 2 says, The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. And verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Both rich and poor need to be humbled before God and have his fear put in their hearts. Both rich and poor must come to God as lost, guilty, helpless sinners relying only upon the free grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
Now, 1 Samuel 2.7 says, The Lord makes the poor and he makes the rich. And he also saves the poor and saves the rich by faith in his son. And so James goes on to tell us why this rich brother should rejoice. Verse 10, Because as the flower of the grass he shall pass away. So this is why the rich brother should rejoice that he's been made low. Because just as the flower of the grass, and we know that the Bible says that all flesh is grass, Psalm 40, or Isaiah 40. Verse 6, the voice said, Cry, and he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So it's true of all men, they're grass. But the rich is as the flower of the field. And the flower, of course, is the most showy part of the grass, but it's also the most fragile and short-lived part of the grass. The flower, which refers to the outward glory and beauty of the grass, hardly appears before it soon has faded away again or has withered and fallen off. And just so it is with the lives and the possessions of the rich. Psalm uh, 39. Verse 4. Lord, make me to know mine end and the measure of my days, what it is, that I may know how frail I am, like the grass and its flower. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is as nothing before thee, Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Surely every man walketh in a vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. In Psalm 90, verses 5 and 6, we read, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep in the morning, they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. So how often God has to remind man, you're frail, you're short-lived, you're like grass and it's flower. And yet people seem to act like they're going to live forever and that this world is all they need and they try to get all of it they can. But riches are not forever. Uh, Proverbs 27, 24. For riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation? No. What's the Bible say about money in chapter 23? Verse 4. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? Right, people get all fixated on finances and wealth 
And God says, you're looking at something that isn't there. It's a gnat. For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. They're soon gone. And then we ourselves are transitory. We don't live in this world forever. Job chapter 14 Verse 1, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Or Psalm 102 and verse 11. My days are like a shadow that declineth and I am withered like grass. You know, Paul illustrates this in 1 Corinthians 7 as he gives an admonition to believers. We often lose sight of these facts also. Verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that both they that have wives be as though they had none, and they that weep as though they wept not, and they that rejoice as though they rejoice not, and they that buy as though they possess not. And they that use this world is not abusing it for the fashion of this world. It's outer scheme and appearance. It's all passing away. And now as we go to James chapter 1, verse 11, James further illustrates the fact for the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat and this is a reference to the hot east wind of Palestine that occurs shortly after sunrise and which burns the vegetation. Remember Jonah? God had prepared a vehement east wind that came up it blew and destroyed his, the sh- gourd that was shadowing him. But no sooner does the sun rise with a burning heat, but what's it do? It withers, it blasts, it dries up and kills the grass. It does well at night when it's cooler and more moist, but when the sun comes up, it burns off the dew and then it withers the plants. In uh, Psalm 103... Verse 15 and 16, God says, for As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. So the sun rises with its burning heat, and it withers the grass, James says. And as a result, the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So the flower, the external beauty and glory of the grass, soon wilts and dies. And he applies it this way. What's this illustrating? So also shall the rich man fade away 
In other words, he's not always going to be in his beauty and glory. His success in abundance. He's going to fall into financial reversals. He's going to lose his power and influence. He's going to die and leave it all behind. It says that he shall fade away in his ways, in his journeyings or in his goings. All of his plans, all of his projects, all of his schemes and enterprises shall soon come to nothing. The word there, ways, means his travels in pursuit of greater profits. Just like the flower grass, it may seem outwardly impressive, but it soon fails and comes to nothing. So is everything that we have and are in this world. Psalm 37. Don't fret yourself because of evildoers and because of their prosperity. It's so foolish. They have nothing, and we have something far better as Christians. Verse 34, he says, Wait on the Lord, keep his way, and he shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree, yet he passed away, and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Rejoice that you've been made to realize this and that you're living accordingly. Now again, it's no sin to be rich. God has many rich children through time, history, Job, Abraham, and others. The sin is to trust in and abuse our riches. See, we determine worth by money. God determines worth by grace and character. And our faith, of course, is much more precious than of gold that perishes. It gives us what nothing else can give us salvation, and eternal life. We'll close there in prayer.